0: I'd like to turn you back to Romans chapter 5. Confirmed love is what we have entitled the message even this evening. Let's just unite our heart again in short word of prayer as we come to the preaching of God's precious word. Father in heaven, we, we bless the Lord that we can sing of God's everlasting love. Thou has loved us with an everlasting love. Thou has drawn us by the cords of other everlasting love. Lord, we pray that we might enter into something of what that is. And Thou would teach us. Thou would give us, Lord, the teachable spirit, even as we come to this great passage. And Thou would give us, Lord, help by the Holy Spirit. Thou would apply the Word as is needed to each and every heart tonight, whether saint or sinner alike. And, O God, that Thou would, Lord, just shut us in with Thyself. Shut out even the distractions of this week. And we pray that Thou would close us in with Thyself. And Thou would, Lord, cover us neath the precious blood. Bind the strong man. O God, spoil the devil's plans tonight. We know, Lord, he comes immediately, like the birds of the air, to snatch away the good seed. But, Lord, we pray against him in Jesus' name. And Satan to Jesus must buy. And we pray that Thou would cause Thy Word to run and be glorified. Lord, at that end, fill us with Thy Spirit and with power. Give us words from Thyself. Oh, fill me, Lord, uh, with that Spirit of God tonight. We might know that fresh anointing. Uh, We might preach as us. And thus saith the Lord, we ask these things in our Saviour's name. Amen. The great truth of Romans chapter 1 and verse 17 is what Martin Luther came to understand and what caused the fires of the Protestant Reformation to burn brightly over Europe. The words of that verse simply say, the just shall live by faith. And that is the truth that the Apostle Paul has been dealing with in the subsequent chapters that follow, using none other than Abraham as an example. Abraham wasn't saved or justified by his works. He was saved by faith. He believed God. He believed God's promises concerning that of his seed and that he would become the father of many nations. And that was while Sarah was still barren. And where both of them were concerned were beyond the age where they could expect to be parents or that he could be a father to any child. And yet he believed God. And if you look back at chapter 4 and verse 17, you will see uh, and notice the quality of his faith. He said, As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before whom he believed. Even God, who quickeneth the dead, and calleth those things which be not as though they were. He believed that God is one who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. That was the extent of Abraham's faith. But with the blessing of being justified by faith comes all sorts of blessings. And that is what Paul proceeds to touch upon in chapter 5. In fact, that's how he starts it. Therefore, being justified by faith. Now, what are some of those blessings that follows? Well, you'll see it. We have peace with God, where before there was enmity. We have access to God. We have a standing before God in righteousness, where before in our sinful days, we had no standing. And we have also that blessed hope of the glory of God. The assurance, if you like, that when we die, when we leave this scene of time and go into the next world, that we, be, we will be received into His glorious dwelling place. In the meantime, there will be the difficulties. There will be the trials that have to be faced. But everything that we suffer causes us to look more and more toward the heavenly inheritance which is awaiting us. The hope that the born-again sinner has is certain. You know, the, the, the word takes on a different uh, meaning these days. I, I was saying even in a prayer meeting, uh, but someone was asking a man yesterday, are you sure? Are you ready for the next world? Well, I hope so. I hope so. But men and women, the hope, That is expressed in the Scriptures for the child of God. In verse 4, patience, experience, experience, hope is not just a hit and miss. But it is that confident expectation. That's the difference. We have expectation confidently of entering in to that inheritance. There's no possibility that we shall be disappointed in it. Indeed, the the more the world buffets, then the more our hope is stirred up. There is that longing for heaven. And the more the world turns us back on the child of God, then the more sure we are that God loves us. For that which guarantees our eternal well-being is the love of God. The same love that planned redemption in the far reaches of eternity past. And my question tonight is, do you know anything of the love of God? The Apostle Paul knew by experience that love of God. And that is the message that he went forth to proclaim to all and sundry. And it is the message, men and women, that I want to draw your attention to tonight as it is found in the words of verse 8. It tells us of God's love confirmed, God's love established. You want proof of God's love to sinful, lost mankind? You will not find it in circumstances. You will find it at Calvary. But God commandeth His love toward us. In that while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. Let me break it down for you. I want you to see there a description. There's a description given here. It's not, not given of a preacher. But it is a description that Paul has been given under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit as he penned these words. And that description is true of everyone in this meeting house tonight. What is it? That while we were yet sinners. Sinners. Now, there's plenty of people today who take offense, have been called a sinner. But that is what God says. And that is how it is described and how is was revealed even in his precious word tonight. It is how we are described. And that is so because we are sinners by birth. Every one of us were born of Adam's race. That takes us, of course, back into the Garden of Eden way back in the beginning of time when God created Adam in perfection. He was in sweet communion with his creator God. There was no sin in the world when Adam was created, but sin and death because of sin would enter upon the disobedience on Adam's part. For God said to him regarding the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. What happened? Adam disobeyed God. Adam rebelled against God. And that's why we have verse 12 in this very same chapter. For it says, Wherefore, on account of that, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. And because Adam was our federal head, He was our representative. All mankind would flow through his loins. And that means we've all sinned in Adam. We're all sinners. By birth. The psalmist could say, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity and sinned in my, in sin did my mother conceived me. There's only one who wasn't born a sinner into this world, and that was the Lord Jesus Christ. There was no sin in Him. He could not sin. He was virgin born. There was no taint of man upon him. He was a sinless lamb of God. But apart from Christ, all have sinned. And that means when God describes you as a sinner, it is an accurate description. But you know we're sinners not only because of our birth, but because of our nature. Because in Adam we sinned and fell. Instead of having that will and that heart and that mind towards God and towards good. And that's what Adam had when God created him. His will was inclined toward God. His mind, his heart was directed toward God until sin entered in and the very opposite then was the case. Our will, our heart, our mind Is inclined the opposite way. So we bit like the boys and girls when they go into the playground and they get on the seesaw. And the seesaw, they're sitting on the seat of the seesaw, and they're there, and there's an inclination upward. But you know when sin came into the world, that inclination went downward. Exact opposite. The apostle states, There is none righteous, no not one. There is none that seeketh after God. Men and women don't want to seek the Lord. They want to do everything that is possible to close out the things of God and eternity from their minds. Our whole nature is sinful. Our whole nature is depraved. And isn't that borne out by the words used in these verses? I wonder, did you see them? Look at verse 6. When we were yet without strength. there's the first one. It reminds us that we're helpless to do anything for ourselves in salvation. We cannot work this up we cannot make ourselves right before God. We cannot bring ourselves to God just like the lame man couldn't. He had to be born by the four friends. There's nothing in us that merits God's favor. We are sinners. We are without strength. Now look at the end of the verse. Do you have another description? For it says, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. That has to do with our guilt. That has to do with our sinfulness before God. Not only helpless creatures likely to perish, but guilty, sinful creatures and therefore deserving to perish. Not only mean and worthless, but vile and obnoxious, worthy of any favor, unworthy of any favor from a holy God. So bring that all together. We're neither righteous nor good. Not only useless, but such as were guilty and obnoxious. And there would be no loss should we perish. Indeed, our destruction would greatly redound to the glory of God's justice. We are sinners by nature. Now, if that wasn't enough, then consider that we are sinners also by practice. There's another word. This time you'll find it in verse 10. For if when we were enemies. Enemies unto God. Not just that we didn't seek the Lord, but we are absolute rebels and enemies to God. And when we look out in the world tonight, then don't we see the reality and the accuracy of that very description? You turn over this for a moment or two to 2 Timothy. Paul's writing to young Timothy, the pastor in Ephesus. He's speaking about the last times. Second Timothy, chapter 3. Well, you know, we mightn't be in the book of the Revelation, but here's prophecy. Here's what the last times are going to be like. Verse 2, Men shall be lovers of their own selves. their love is in the wrong place you say. lovers of their own selves why don't you stop and think about that are we not in that day that people like to put themselves out there and all the selfies and all that carry on lovers of their own selves I'm a great fellow. See what I've done. See what I look like. The love in the wrong place. Verse 4 tells us lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. But there's more. Covetous. Boasters. Proud. Blasphemers. Disobedient to parents. Unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce false accusers, day of litigation, incontinent, fears, despisers of those that are good, traitors, hairy, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more. And lovers of God, having a form of godliness, And we bit religion with them, but denying the power thereof, and God says, from such turn away. That speaks of the days, and that's a reality check. When we read those words, a list of the sort of characters that the last days shall be noted for were in them. But you know, we don't even have to go to Second Timothy. We don't have to leave even the book of Romans. You come back to Romans chapter 1. And you will see a list there of the most darkest of sins. and Practices imaginable. Verse 29. Being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters... Inventors of evil things. Disobedient apparent. Many of these things are repeated, you see, in 2 Timothy. Without understanding. Covenant breakers. Without natural affection. Implacable. Unmerciful. Who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do they see same, but of pleasure in them that do them. And you might say tonight, but preacher, I'm not a wicked person. I'm not a murderer. That might be so as far as man is concerned. But that heart of yours is capable of every one of those sins. The heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Because you're a sinner. And it's only the restraining hand of God and grace that has kept you from those, sin, those sins. You are one who has broken God's law. You have come short of the glory of God. You have missed the mark of His perfect righteousness. And you're guilty in His sight. And God's Word says, When sin when it is finished, it bringeth forth death. The wages of sin is death. Apart from the grace and the mercy of God. You will die a sinner. You'll go to a lost eternity where Christ said, I go my way and ye shall seek me and shall die in your sins whether I go. Ye cannot come. It will be where sin will be punished for all eternity in that place where God has forgotten to be merciful. And dear friend, I emphasize your state and I emphasize the description that God gives of you because if you don't see your undone state before a holy God, then you will never seek the Lord for mercy. Mercy in salvation. We live in a day of flippancy where sin is concerned. People talk and think lightly of sin, but sin is obnoxious. It stinks in the nostrils of Almighty God. For God to remain just, then sin must be punished. And He will punish sin. There is here a description in her verse. There is here also a demonstration in her verse. This description I've said to you is universal to all. The opening words of her text surely, however, denote a demonstration from God. But God commendeth his love toward us. That which God has declared is his love. It is a demonstration that is unimaginable. I've just noted something of what man is in his character. And yet, what a contrast when we consider who God is. And the great contrast is seen in our text, for it begins with it. It says, but God. You, You come across the word but, there's a change of tone there. And the apostle has been describing what the sinful man is and so forth. And then he comes to it and he says, but God. He's stating, scarcely would a man die for a righteous man but a, or a good man. But God commanded His love toward us. If you turn over a few books to Ephesians chapter 2, you, you will know it well, but here's another verse which gives that contrast. Uh, chapter 2 of verse 1, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and in sins. Paul's writing to the believers, but he's reminding them of what they wear in their of days. This is what you wear. You are dead in trespasses and in sins. There's no good within any one of us. There's many a preacher tonight in our land and they go weak on sin. And they go weak on man's heart. And they would try and tell their congregation, you know, there's a, good, a wee bit of good in you, each one of you. And if you only develop that, then you'll be a good person. That's not what the Scriptures teach. That's not what Romans 5 teaches. And the Apostle has been bringing it out here what the sinner is. They're dead tonight in sins. Sinner, a a corpse can do nothing for themselves. You might have life in the physical, but you're dead spiritually to God. There is no life in you, and you are in danger of dying eternally. But look at the message of hope there is, because he goes on to say, wherein in in time past you walked according to the course of this world, You, you followed the prince of the power of the air, you had your conversation in times past fulfilling the desires of the the flesh and of the mind they were by nature the children of wrath even as others verse four but God there it is there's your contrast but God who is rich in mercy for his great love were with He loved us. Can you imagine why God should ever love a people who were sinful, who were guilty, and lawbreakers in his sight? But my friend, this is the free grace of God that Paul was to know in his conversion, and which you can know in salvation tonight. It really is bringing out John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Have you experienced this love of God? You don't love God. You can't love God until first of all you're saved and you've experienced His love in salvation personally. It is a demonstration that is unimaginable that a holy God should ever love a sinful, guilty, hell deserving people. But you know it is a demonstration of love that is unequaled. It's without parallel. And God showed and proved that when an eternity passed, he decreed the great and the wonderful plan of salvation. I want to tell you that Calvary was never an afterthought with God. There are some today who will suggest that because Adam sinned in the garden then that meant God had to turn to plan B. God is not like man. God's plans don't fail. There's many a time man has had a plan and he's had to turn to plan B and maybe plan C. But God is not like man. He doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth and none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? And that is why Peter could stand up on the day of Pentecost and why he could preach as he did. And we have it in Acts chapter 2, verse 23. He says, Speaking of Christ, Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. What's that mean? It simply means the plan of God from eternity past. God for knew what would happen. Him being delivered by the determined counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. God had already decreed what would happen. It already was arranged among the Godhead in eternity past. Calvary was not ever in the mind of Christ and the time and the manner in which he would lay down his life on that cross, on that old rugged tree, was already planned by God the Father. It's already planned he would be taken by the hands of cruel and wicked men and crucified. That's why Isaiah could speak of Calvary with prophetic accuracy because he was inspired of the Holy Ghost to write what he did. The great plan of God's salvation. It was already planned before God spake this world into being, before he put the mountains in their place, before he, he was to form the waters and every creation in them. He had already decreed the plan of your salvation and mine. What a thought. What a demonstration of love. For God is all-knowing. He knew that man would sin. He knew that he would be a rebel unto him. But God commanded his love toward us. It was unequaled. Because in that great plan of salvation, it was determined that God should give of his only begotten son, the very darling of the father's bosom, one day take leave of the Father's house and the glory he had in heaven. When would that be? Verse 6 tells us. Did you see it? For when we, ye, we were without strength in due time. In due time. The day was already determined. The plan was in place. Paul brings it out in Galatians chapter 4. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem them that were under the law. Paul just writes it in due time. In due time. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said of verse 6, it really is Paul's exposition of John 3.16. That's a good way to sum it up. In due time. And so... I trust you understand, dear loved one, that God didn't give an angelic being. He didn't even send a prophet. His demonstration of love was seen in that He sent Christ, His only begotten Son. Heaven gave of its very best when Christ took unto Himself the form of our nature into His divinity. And he became the God man, you turn and uh, to first John chapter four, you uh, have the love of God uh, summed up in two verses, first John four verse nine, and this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. Here in is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent his Son. To be a propitiation for our sins. Tell me, does it mean anything to you why Christ came? Abram of old, of course, was to offer his only son Isaac and that only son was spared on that mountain, Mount Moriah. Yet God spared not his son. Romans 8, but delivered him up for us all. I want you to notice that this love of God demonstrated was undeserving. God commendeth his love toward us. He showed and proved his love for sinners. We who are guilty, sinful, undeserving of the least of his mercies, yet the love of God as demonstrated, was directed toward us. That makes it undeserving love. He wasn't showing his love toward friends. We've already brought it out. We were his enemies, at enmity with God. He demonstrated his love toward those who have no love for God. We can understand, you know, love between equals. We can understand a husband's love for a wife and vice versa. We can understand children's love for parents. We can understand the love even between friends as it was with David and Jonathan or even Paul as he had a love for his own nation, his own people, the Jews, because he loved them in Christ and he longed that they would be saved but the love that God demonstrated was towards sinners. And dear loved one, it was toward you. And many tonight under the sound of my voice have experienced that. And that's the message of hope for the lost sinner tonight. For the lost sinner tonight. Before me, there are sinners saved by grace and there are lost sinners still in their sin. There's one final thought that I want to bring. Not only the demonstration and not only the description here, but there's a death. How was the love of God ultimately shown? How was it proved beyond any doubt for sinful men? It wasn't a death. but it was no ordinary death. It says, But God commended His love toward us in that. Why we were we yet sinners? Christ died for us. There's a person here who was to die. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. It's God's only begotten Son who had become man. It was the eternal Son of God who cannot die. He is, touched on this morning, He is from everlasting to everlasting. And yet we read in Hebrews chapter 2, these words, "We see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death." What's that mean? For a little time. He was to condescend to where angels never go. That is to death. For that was the reason why he came, he came to die. He came to lay down His life on that cross. No man could take His life from Him. He had the power to lay it down. He has the power to take it up again. Think of it, dear loved one. The person of God's dear Son would come to this earth to die. He came to give His life as a ransom for the many. There was no ordinary death. He did not die from disease. He died the death of the cursed. He died according to the Scriptures. Oh, the modernists will cast aspersions upon it. They will even try and state that he swooned. But God says, Christ died. That's it. That's the final word. Christ died. But there's also in our text the place of. For the text says who he came to die for. Christ died for for sinful mankind that we considered earlier the Christ of God came that he might die for rebels and those who were enemies to God and I want you to understand take your pen even and underline it because the word us is emphatic in the original Christ died for us in our place In our stead, Christ took the punishment that we should have to bear. Christ paid the full and just demands of God's holy law. He satisfied divine justice. He bore all the sins of all who will come and whoever will believe in Him to the saving of their souls. How many is that? That's not my business. I don't know. God knows. That's the center and the crux of the whole gospel message. You take away Christ and Him crucified and there is no gospel. There is no message of hope. There is no salvation or hope for the sinner. Christ died... Not an accidental death. He died an atoning death for his people. It was for our benefit. It was for our blessing. It was so that sinful lost mankind might come to faith and have their sins dealt with and be saved. Tell me, have you yet come? Have you yet received him as your Savior? Why did the Savior ever die on that cross if you sinner could get to heaven by your own works or some religious activity or exercise or whatever else you might want to present. I want to tell you tonight, Christ died in the place of sinners. And you'll see the purpose of His death. For Paul could say in Galatians 2, Christ who loved me and gave Himself for me. He died so that sinners like you and I might be redeemed. But preacher, what about my sin? You don't know everything about my sin. That's right. But behold the Lamb of God, which beareth away the sin of the world. It's still the same message as what John uh, revealed at the uh, side of the Jordan at that time. Behold the Lamb of God can't look to a church. You can't look to a preacher. You can't look to a denomination. You must look away to Christ by faith. For he who his own self bear our sins on his own body on the tree. How can you note cleansing from your sin tonight? That's here. Just look at verse 9. Much more than being now justified by his blood. We shall be saved from wrath through him. It's by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't spill his blood. He shed his precious blood. For without the shedding of blood, there's no remission. No forgiveness. But the purpose of Christ's death was that he might redeem a people unto himself that will be with him in heaven for all eternity. Tell me in closing, will you be there? Will you be there singing that anthem Worthy is the Lamb, That was slain. Are you saved? Are you washed in the blood tonight by faith? If not, then come and know pardon for your sins tonight. You'll be able to say, Christ died for me. For me. You know, we love that old shepherd psalm, don't we? It's often quoted. But you know, it's important to be able to say the Lord is my shepherd. That's personal. Can you say it tonight? Christ died for me. May God help you to do so. You can leave the meeting house tonight knowing that He is your Savior. But God commended His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 213, will stand as we... Uh, Sing in closing, was it for me, for me alone the Savior left? His glorious throne, the dazzling splendors of the sky, was it for me? He came to die. What's the words? Page 262, and it's number 213. Let's stand as we sing it. Father and our God, we thank Thee many can sing tonight. It was for me that He died on that old rugged cross. Oh, we thank the Lord, this evening. The love of God is so great, so free. We can say, My Lord, my King tonight, my Savior, He died for me. Lord, I pray that I would bless this truth even afresh to our hearts. Thank thee we can come and consider such a truth in the back of even our time around the table this morning. Lord, we pray that thou would speak on maybe to any that's unsaved. The Lord today would be able to come and say, He died for me too. Lord, speak on when the preacher's voice is silent. Part us with thy blessing. Give thy good hand upon us, even in our goings out this week. For we ask these things. In Jesus' name, and for God's eternal glory. Amen.